Into the wild I'll go and into the wild I am It's been a while, freedom child Since I left my roots back home Into the wild I'll go Into the wild I am It's been a while, freedom child Since I left my roots back home Welcome to the Free Birth Society podcast. This is a radical space for women who are ready to celebrate their autonomous choices in birth, motherhood, and beyond. Together, we'll learn about wild birth through personal narrative, we'll explore the politics of birth, and we'll analyze everything that relates to our lives as women from a feminist perspective. Here's your host, Emily Saldea. It's been a wild freedom are counting down the days until the party pops off at the third annual Matriarch Rising Festival. If you've never attended a women-only event before, let me tell you, it's pure magic. Imagine dancing under the stars, surrounded by your sisters, barefoot and free, completely immersed in the here and now. It's the only event of its kind where hundreds of women gather on sacred land in the Blue Ridge Mountains every year to revive authentic sisterhood. So run, don't walk, because tickets are now available at matriarchrisingfestival.com. story starts with a traumatic early birth in the system at 17 weeks with her first son, Shiloh. The dehumanizing experience proved to her that the hospital was the last place she wanted to be. So when she conceived again, she planned a home birth outside of the system with an authentic midwife, me. Meg shares how she learned to accept the intermingling of joy and grief in navigating her pregnancy and upcoming birth. And she vulnerably shares how shell-shocked she was from her baby's fast birth. Spoiler, I missed it. And how she was left physically and emotionally rocked. Wondering, was that it? Meg's story offers insight into how not all free births are the peaceful Instagram videos you see, but are far more real, raw, and primal. We touch on her initially challenging breastfeeding journey and the trust that she felt in her body and her baby to find their way. Megan. Emily. Welcome to the free birth. That's the first time you've used my whole name. <laughs> if there was ever a time to say your full name, it's right now. Mm-hmm. Meg Han. There's mm-hmm. no H, is there? There is an H, yeah. What oh, is Meg Han? Yeah, it is Meg Han. My brother used to call me that. The podcast, Meg Han. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. 
it's kind of been a wild ride. Oh boy, has it ever. I mean, I'm thinking of the time, just hide that self-view. I'm thinking of the time that I, did I meet you at that circle at my house? Yeah, yeah, that was our first meeting in person. Mm -hmm. So much has happened in your life (laughs) since that circle, which in some ways feels like it was just a couple months ago. Yeah, so much had just happened. And then so much continued to happen afterwards that, yeah, we met at like a, just like such a like tumultuous time, like in the storyline of this, of this whole progression. How many months past your loss were you when we met? Um, It happened in February and we met, I think that was May, right? It was either May or June. So three months, not even three months because it was the end of February. Yeah. Wow. So start us wherever, wherever you want. I mean, stories, you know, (laughs) kind of operate on a continuum. So there's no like obvious start point, you know, for a lot of this, but wherever your story wants to begin in the telling of it today. um, And yeah, it just, you're going to share your, your wild ride of, of your pregnancies and, and healing your thyroid, which is so amazing and free birthing your baby and yeah, seconds and (laughs) just a lot like I feel like it's interesting because you you don't strike me as I mean we're obviously very good friends I know Mm. you pretty well and you are not like a very intense person that's not like a word I would use for you um I mean you feel deeply but but you're not like you're not like a dramatic not like outwardly Yeah. yeah And you have, not that I'm like making one equal the other, but you, you've had like some pretty intense experiences over the last, over the last two years or so. So anyway, I'm mm-hmm. going to tell us your story. Okay. So, um, I think the best place to start is just to quickly mention my first pregnancy, which was not Shiloh's pregnancy. Um, so I got pregnant in the summer of 2020 and it was actually like unplanned and I didn't know I was pregnant. Um, So we had been, it was ironic because we had been talking about and planning to start trying to get pregnant that fall. And then I unknowingly got pregnant at the end of the summer. And I didn't realize I was like doing a pretty, obviously doing a pretty bad job of tracking my cycles. (laughs) So when I like missed my period, I didn't really realize it right away. Um, And I, I had like very few symptoms. So it was like, I had one random day where I like threw up. I like ate an omelet and then immediately threw it up into the sink. And I was like, oh, what's happening? Yeah, sorry, sorry. I was just like, whoa. The sink has a whole other like visual. Yeah, like, you know, like you finish your meal, you're like taking your plate to the sink and it's just like, oh, oh here it comes. <laughs> never happened to me, but wow. Okay. And, um, but that was the only time that I like was nauseous or threw up or anything. And so it was just like this weird thing that when I, by the time I realized like, oh my God, I think I'm pregnant. Those, I had like stopped having any symptoms and, and then I miscarried. So it was a pretty early miscarriage and I had only known about the pregnancy for like a week or two. So the, the important thing I think to like know about that experience is that the actual like pregnancy release was so intense and I was not expecting that like you google you know when I realized that I was miscarrying you like you know you like google stuff like and all the things online are like oh it might feel like a heavy period if it's an early you know first trimester miscarriage and that is not at all what it felt like I mean it was like 
contractions and intensity. I think I've told you this before that I'm, I'm pretty sure I like blacked out on my kitchen floor at one point because I remember like coming to and being like, where am I? Like, what is happening? You alone? Yeah, I was alone. Um, Joey was at work and we just like didn't know what was what was going to happen. And then those, the, the strangest thing to me was that it happened uh, on two different days, five days apart. So I had this whole experience of the intense cramping, the contractions, the blood loss, the clotting, all, you know, uh, releasing clots and everything. And that went on for like a 12 hour period. And then it like kind of tapered. And then the next few days, it was just like, whoa, you know, kind of reeling from that. And then like four or five days later, it happened again. And it was the same, you know, I, I think it was just that my body wasn't prepared to you know release that much blood and, and all of that in one in one go so it kind of like took a break and then like finished the process a few days later but it was so intense it was so painful that I was like holy crap like I just didn't know that that's what miscarriage could be like you know and why this is kind of a dumb question but why didn't you go into the hospital I mean, I just always tend to avoid hospitals at all costs. Okay. And I just knew that I would prefer to be at home. Um, I prefer to be alone. There was no, there was never really a time where I was like, oh my God, I'm losing so much blood. I have to go to the hospital. There was a lot of blood, but, but it never occurred to me that like I needed to seek assistance or anything like that. Yeah. It was never a question really. Um, so that was a very intense experience and totally unexpected. So I was like, you know, a little bit just in shock, I think after that. Um, but what it did bring up for me was that like how much I did want to be pregnant and how much I was like ready for that because I was so, you know, heartbroken and sad to have, um, you know, been pregnant, not know it for very long. And then, and then to have that pregnancy release. Yeah. So then a couple months later uh, that happened in September. And then, so I ended up, I did get pregnant again in November. Um, so two cycles later. Um, and so we were, you know, super stoked. I, I didn't test. So Joey was kind of like, are you pregnant? Are you not? What's we're not, okay, we're wait, not going to find why out. Didn't, why didn't you test? And where are you at in your relationship to free birth and to like free birth society? And cause this is obviously mm-hmm. for you and I personally know each other. Like who, who are, what's your mindset like at this stage? Yeah, I was familiar with free birth. I had listened to some of your podcast and some other podcasts of like birth stories and women birthing outside the system. Um, and I didn't test because I'm just so crunchy and natural and that's (laughs) what you do, you know? (laughs) Okay. It was like, I just, I wanted to experience, you know, what pregnancy could be like without all of the the stuff, you know, I was, I was not planning on having any ultrasounds. I was not planning on, you know, doing any testing or anything, um, yeah. And, uh, so yes, I was familiar with free birth, but I wasn't at the place where I was ready to fully commit to doing that on my own. So I did hire a midwife for that pregnancy. Um, and yeah, I interviewed her and I told her that I was considering free birth, but I wasn't a hundred percent sure. Um, and she was kind of like, she was like yeah okay she was like maybe you know have some support for your first birth and then maybe maybe next time you know and that was really my mindset too was I'll have support for my first birth and then my my second and the rest of my kids all all free birth you know um the classic the classic clear I'm saying this for people listening free birth does not mean you don't have support 
Right, right. But I didn't know that at the time. Right. I didn't really so know. That's why I want to like drill down on it for yes. a second because of course you hired a medical midwife. And yeah. so you're learning about all of that at that stage, but there is this like weird assumption. I think it stems from the unassisted, you know, term that free birth means like, you're like, alone. Me alone. I'm hardcore. I'm in the bathroom and no one can talk to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought that it meant that I had to have all of this like cognitive knowledge about like, what if this happens? What if that happens? Like, I'm not going to be fully prepared in time to know if something goes wrong. You know, that was my mindset at the time. And obviously, you know, <laughs> you know how the story ends. Uh, it's different than that in the end. Um, but, but I was, I was really excited um, to have, to have her support. And I really loved her. The, the only things that were kind of red flags for me were of course the the couple of things that she has to do she has to do uh fetal monitoring during labor you know she has to um have pitocin and if she deems you know there to be too much blood loss she's going to inject me with it without you know whether or not I want it and I knew that I didn't want it um and then about this with you yeah. Yeah. She told me straight. She, the first meeting, she said there were, there were five things that she said that she, you know, could not bend the rules on. And I can only remember three of them because there were three of them that I had an issue with. So it was those two things. It was the fetal monitoring, uh, the Pitocin, and then she would have an assistant with her who I would not get to meet prior to the birth. Which that one is not like a policy and procedure. Like she could right. introduce you. That's this. And so many medwives do this. And yeah. it's so bizarre to act like I understand physiological birth. I do home birth and I'm going to bring someone into your space that you've never met. And that's just how I run my practice. So. Yeah. And I was really uncomfortable. That was the biggest thing actually, that I was really unsure about and was nervous about someone coming into the space and never having met me, not knowing anything about me. You know, I was really um, uncomfortable with that one, but I was willing to, you know, accept those terms in order to have what I thought I needed as far as, you know, support for the birth. Um, so, yeah, but I, I mean, I only met with her, I interviewed her early in the pregnancy and then I met with her, I think it was like a 12 week appointment or something, you know, and then, um, that was that was the, my only interactions with her really um so the story ends around uh 17 weeks um I I had had a really I really enjoyed you know my first trimester and going into the second trimester I was, had been super nauseous and a lot of a lot of vomiting first trimester like more than this last pregnancy which was not fun um, but going into the second trimester, I felt, you know, a lot better, was getting energy back and everything. And then it was like right around the 17 week mark that I had a couple of days of like some cramping. And um, I, was, I was in uh, a Facebook group, you know, the, the like Facebook due date groups that exist. And so I went in there and, you know, asked the women, uh, you know, has anyone else experienced this? I'm, I'm unsure about it. And so there were like immediately like 10 responses of like, oh, it's super normal. You know, cramping so normal. It can happen. It can happen all the time, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, okay, yeah. And so the thing is I had a meeting with, my next midwife appointment was scheduled for that Monday. And this was, this had started on like a Friday evening. And so I was like, well, you know, worst case scenario, if it's still happening on Monday, I'll just check in at my appointment and we'll, you know, take it from there. Um, but the, yeah, the cramping kind of intermittently was, you know, more intense, less intense throughout the weekend. And then Sunday evening, 
I went to bed. I was exhausted, you know, just having been uncomfortable for a few days. And um, I woke up in the middle of that night with the, the cramping had intensified a lot. And so I got up um, and went to the bathroom and I peed. And then I was sitting on the toilet and I had what I would describe as like my first real contraction that, you know, wrapped around my back and just like squeezed my belly so hard and my water broke and I knew you know I knew that at 17 weeks that your water breaking is is really bad <laughs> that it's not it's not a good sign so I woke my husband up and I said we need to go to the hospital right now and that um that decision to go to the hospital then is is one that I've you know in in hindsight that I've kind of grappled with a lot and wondered what it would have been like if we hadn't but it seemed like the the right thing to do at the time and I needed to know you know I needed to know if if there was any possibility that this pregnancy was was still viable so it's such a it's such a knee-jerk like get help like if anything can help what's happening even yeah. if even if on a like super super logical level it doesn't make sense or like there isn't anything they can do that impulse you know to to yeah. go to get help to get checked is is so deeply ingrained in us yeah totally you go to like the emergency room yeah we go to the emergency room <clears throat> yeah which you can imagine <laughs> this is not a good time to take a my of my <laughs> your inappropriate mug I'm gonna really uh Rub that in Johnny's face later. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. the The emergency room is not where you want to be if you're experiencing any anything with a pregnancy, really. I mean, or anything ever. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was that was rough. I mean, the oh, I've wished so many times that I could like go back to that hospital and just like give them some tips on like sensitivity training. I mean, the number. any tips <laughs> yeah if only yeah so tell us like what what happens you get there and how's it I go I mean it's just the it's just treated like I came in with like a scratch on my arm you know yeah. I mean every there's just person after person after person coming into the room and every single person is walking in with like a you know a jolly cheery smile on their face what are we in for today sweetie yeah. and I'm just having to say over and over and over again but like I'm 17 weeks pregnant and my water just broke, you know, I've been having cramping for a few days. And so it just is like, you know, yeah. mentally and emotionally, like so draining to, to do that over and over again. Um, and so, yeah, at the, they did a, an ultrasound in the emergency room and baby still had a heartbeat at this point. The baby was still alive. Yeah. So eventually some doctors, some, some OBs come down to talk to us. And it was really frustrating because they kept telling us different things. First, they told us, well, what we would do if you want is we would admit you and we would try to keep you pregnant until you're about 30 weeks. And I'm like, whoa, like, <laughs> yeah, like the idea of living in a hospital from 17 weeks until 30 weeks. And then on drugs, you know, on drugs like in bed, you know, uh, just like the the split second image in my head of what that would be like was like 
I felt like I was like, you know, suffocating. I was like, oh my God, like, is this really how this pregnancy is going to go? I didn't know they offered that to women that early. Well, they don't. That's, that's the thing. He, he was mistaken when he told me that. Oh my God. Yeah. And then, so later they come back and he's like, just to clarify, we wouldn't actually admit you unless you make it to 23 weeks first. Wow. Um, yeah. Oh, and and before, yeah, before this, there's a female OB and she's the first thing she says is, okay, I'm going to give you a vaginal exam. Um, we're going to check to see if your water broke. And then I'm going to, you know, check to see if your cervix is dilated. And I was like, well, I know that my water broke, so I don't need you to do that. And then, um, like, what's the point of like checking to see if my cervix is dilated? Because right now, like, but the information I have, like this baby's still alive. I know that my water bag has ruptured and the possibility of introducing bacteria and infection sounds like the worst possible plan in my opinion (laughs) and she was really perturbed that I did not let her um give me a vaginal exam you know and it was this whole like we don't know for sure if your water broke and I was like I literally asked her I was like what else could it possibly have been like I had I just had emptied my bladder I had just peed and then I felt a contraction and I felt a pop and I felt a gush like what tell me what else it could have been it's also not anything like the other. Right. Like, on purpose. Yes. Right. <laughs> you know, it's not anything like your water. No, skin. of course not. Yeah. And yeah, so I, so I wouldn't let them do a vaginal exam. And they basically were, oh, at one point they offered for me to just go ahead and have a DNC right then and there, which was, you know, it's like the most insensitive thing you can say to a woman's like, hey, we know your baby is still alive, but we'll go ahead and take it out of you if you want. Holy shit. Yeah. The, the him still being alive is really an intense part of this. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it's totally, it was a totally different thing than if he yeah. had, you know, already died and we were just, ex, you know, experiencing the beginning of a miscarriage. Because mm-hmm. at this point, I didn't know. So I, I was diagnosed with PPROM, uh, preterm premature rupture of membranes. And so immediately I'm like researching, like Joey and I both on our phones, like, what is this? What does this mean? Like, what, is there anything that can be done? And I actually did find, like, I found a lot of women's stories who had PPROM in the second trimester, like I did, whose babies survived. Like they made it to a uh, point in gestation that they were able to, you know, be born and and lived. Mm -hmm. So I had hope, like I had, um, you know, my, my, my thoughts were like, if we can, and I, I knew, you know, theoretically that like waters can replenish in the womb. I think probably a lot of women who have PPROM, maybe their waters didn't rupture as completely as mine did. Cause there was, I mean, almost no fluid left when they did the ultrasound as far as they could tell, you know, from what you can tell on an ultrasound. So yeah, we were, we were given the options of, you know, we can do a DNC, we can stay in the hospital and wait, we can, you know, they could give me miso or whatever it is that, you know, starts the uh, miscarriage. Um, and we chose to go home. We chose to go home and, and wait and see. So we went home. So we were there, you know, from the uh, middle of the night until like midday the next day. So we went home that afternoon and I was, of course, just like researching like crazy, you know, what am I, what do I do from now on? And so I was just resting and trying to hydrate and, you know, have keep as many fluids as I could. Um, But I really, you know, ended that day with, uh, with hope thinking that it's possible that, you know, that this could be okay. And so I went to bed 
that night again, um, woke up again in the middle of the night um, and I had started bleeding. So I knew, you know, as soon as I saw the blood that, that he was gone. I didn't know it was a boy at the time, um, but I knew that he had died. And so then we had to make the decision again. Do we go back to the hospital or do we stay home? And um, question, How, why did you know he had died when you saw blood? Well, I just knew that it meant I had, you know, cramping was starting. Gotcha. I'm beginning I knew that. Process. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so this is where the, that first miscarriage kind of informs the decision that I made um, here because knowing how intense and how painful that early first trimester miscarriage was, my thought process in this moment was um, that the emotional pain is enough and I don't want to deal with the physical pain. And I just didn't want to physically go through that again. And I knew that if I went to the hospital that they would give me drugs so that I wouldn't have to feel it physically because emotionally, it was it was already too much. So was your plan to just get get some drugs and allow the birth process? Yeah. To, okay, gotcha. Yeah. So we called the hospital hoping that we could just go straight to labor and delivery. And we couldn't. We had to go back to the emergency room. Even though you'd just been there. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah. Yeah. So this was like this time was even worse, if you can imagine that. So I'm like I'm bleeding heavily by the time we get to the emergency room you know I'm like sitting in the chair in triage like bleeding all over the chair I've bled through my clothes oh. no one's doing anything to like assist you know they're just like you know they're they're saying sweet words I guess but whatever then they take us back and they put us in this like tiny little like jail cell of a room and the the nurse at first just like gives me a gown with like nothing else and I was like I'm profusely bleeding like what, do I, what am I supposed to do like sit on this table and just bleed and she was like oh well, I'll put like a chucks pad down for you and I was like no really? like, what yeah and she was like well I could give you like the the like uh postpartum like underwear if you want and I was like yes please like something would be nice so they did that I very soon started vomiting just like continuous continuously um and I think I was in shock because I was also like shaking and I was freezing cold it was like so cold in this room and so um another nurse came in and he was just like I'm gonna give you something for the nausea and the vomiting without telling me that it was basically going to knock me out for hours yeah whoa so yeah so they give me something and I uh, oh they I don't know what it was <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't tell me um but it's, it made me very drowsy at first and the doctor the OB came back down they did an ultrasound saw that there was no heartbeat and it, it was just I was already because of the drugs I was already in this just like numb state it's like they you know this doctor is like he's like trying to be like outwardly very like gentle it's like I'm so sorry to tell you that like we don't see a heartbeat and I was just like yeah I know like I just I had like no feeling already at that point um it's a total like uh what's the right way to say it like it's a intelligent strategy to cope like the, the intersection of experiencing a second trimester loss 
wrapping your head and heart around that, your body, everything that it's going through, and then to be put into the most like dehumanizing dynamic with strangers and and the nakedness with the bleeding and this and like men talking to you and using Mm -hmm. machines like it's so dystopian because you have this spiritual like deeply painful spiritual experience occurring and then you have you know what you're describing and it's it's just like what what, of course you go numb of course yeah yeah um and so they basically are like, we'll get you up to labor and delivery as soon as we can. Just hang tight for now. And they left us alone in this room, this freezing cold room where I was passed out on this, you know, wow. gurney. And Joey had a tiny metal swivel seat to sit on, not even a chair. And they left us in there for eight hours alone. Uh-huh. We didn't see another person for eight hours. And I was, I was out cold for most of that. I was asleep for most of that time. And so I, as I like, finally, I'm like waking up and like realizing what time it is. I'm like, what is happening? And I was like, I asked Joey to like, please go find someone and find out what is going on. And so he does, he goes to find a nurse and they tell him, well, shift change is about to happen. So as soon as we get, you know, shift change done, your new nurse will come in and they'll, we'll get it all figured out. I was like, oh, that's so how thoughtful of you all. <laughs> that's obstetrical care right there yeah yeah so finally at around like 10 a.m they are taking us up to to lnd and (laughs) there's like there's some things that are just like so awful that i have to like laugh because the orderly who is taking me up there in a wheelchair he's just like you know trying to make small talk and chit-chatting this whole way up to the L&D and as he wheels me into the L&D room that I'm in he goes my daughter birthed my first grandson in this room like as if that's information that I like needed to know at this period of time you know it's just it's so insensitive and yeah so they get us settled in there um the the one like nice thing I guess is that our nurse was was really wonderful she was the one person who was just incredibly compassionate and um yeah just you know had had some sort of sensitivity to what we were going through and um so she came and you know told me what would happen gave me all the the options and everything and I immediately was like give me that epidural I'm ready for it (laughs) I don't want to I don't want to feel this um so I got an epidural which unfortunately only worked on half of my body so it was all you know kind of pointless anyway um but yeah I just it was just a few hours um until he was born and I felt I felt him come out and I called the nurse to I you know called her over to tell her because I even though I could still feel a lot of what was happening I couldn't sit up on my own so that was such a strange moment when he was born because she immediately called the doctor. And then within seconds, there were like 10 people in the room standing around the foot of this bed and they pulled down like the big light from above, like as if I were like, you know, having surgery or something. And there's just all these people staring at, you know, me and I can't, I haven't even seen my baby yet. And I mean, they're acting like it's some emergency. And in my head, I'm just thinking like, we know that the baby is dead. Like, what are you all doing here? And I remember specifically, there was this 
very young woman who I have to imagine was like an intern or a student or something just standing at the bed with this wide-eyed look of like shock on her face yeah and I I just was like give me my baby and one of the doctors the doctor who had picked him up everyone just froze and they all looked at me and I was like give me my baby and they're they literally were like 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 this and I was like yes give me my baby like I had to say it three times because normally what happens is they come in they whisk the baby away they clean them up you know whatever that means they put a little knitted hat on them they wrap them in a blanket so that all you can see is their tiny little face and then they bring the baby back to the mother and let her and the face is covered in uh blinding goop you know yes yes um and so I'm yeah, in hindsight, like knowing how, how most women experience this, I'm so glad that we immediately, you know, got to hold him because they eventually did that. They did eventually take him away and clean him up and put a hat on him. And he came back and he looked so different after, mm-hmm. after that. So, you know, one of the more thoughtful doctors was like, okay, you know, they want some time. Let's all, let's all get out of here. There's nothing to do or see at the moment. We'll come back later to, you know, make sure the placenta is birthed and everything. Well, and that's so, part of why so many people came in is to get the, to get the, as fucked up as this is to say, to get the experience of seeing a 17 week. Right. Loss. Right. Totally. They were all just standing around. There wasn't actually yeah. anything to do. And if it was a teaching hospital, which it sounds like maybe it is, mm-hmm. gonna, you know, it's really sick. They get like excited to see all the a little yeah. and yeah. what was it what was it like to receive him and see him? I mean, there was there was definitely like an element of of joy. And love because he was so he was perfectly formed I mean he had perfect little eyebrows and fingernails and toenails and he had really long legs um I couldn't believe how small he was but Joey couldn't believe how big he was which is just you know it's just funny how the your perception of what you what you expect is going on on inside a you know the womb at 17 weeks is so can be so different but I mean yeah I mean it was it was gut-wrenching just to see that outwardly he looked perfect and to find out that he was a boy and to not understand you know why why this had happened without you know really any warning um but yeah we really we really savored that time I I had you know asked Joey to take some pictures of him and of us together which I'm so glad we did because like I said he looked so different once they brought him back and they do they take photos for you that they like email you and it it just looks like a different being you know like he looked he looked different so I'm I'm we have those those pictures of those few um, hours that we had alone with him, which I really treasure. Um, I don't know if you'll be able to see this, but I have his handprint footprint. Oh, <laughs> can you so see that? Little. Yeah, he actually had pretty long feet. <laughs> he was nine inches long, five point eight ounces. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it was. 
I mean, it was really intense. And then we had to decide um, what to do with his body. Um, and this is something that I really want to um, speak about because I don't think we fully understood our options. And I would have chosen differently if I if I knew what I know now. So the, there were three options. The first one was you could donate his body to science, which was a hard no for us. Um, the second option was we could have him sent to a funeral home and you know get his body and his or his remains from the funeral home. And then the third was that he could be cremated there at the hospital and we would not get the remains. Um, and we at the time understood that second option to mean that we would have to like have a funeral in order to have him go to the funeral home and be able to bring his remains home. And so, and we didn't want to do that. We didn't want to plan a funeral or, you know, have, we just, that wasn't something that, that felt necessary to us. So we chose the third option. We chose to have him cremated at the hospital. Um, and that was something that for a long time, um, I just felt like, did we make the right decision? And it was last summer at the Matriarch Rising Festival in the grief circle when that came up. And I realized that I was really grieving the fact that we didn't get to bring him home, that we just left him there. And I later found out that most funeral homes will receive and cremate the body of a stillborn or miscarried baby for free, and you don't have to do anything. So I want women to know that that, that option is actually pretty easy and that we could have you know, had him cremated and, and kept his remains, even though it would have been like, you know, like this much, <laughs> but yeah. it would have been nice still to, to, to bring him home. Totally. Yes. It is important for women to know that. And my understanding of it is that for most States that I know of in, in our country, a, a licensed funeral director has to um, transport the body but they can transport it to either a funeral home or your home. And so when I have done bereavement work in Los Angeles, we had a funeral director who would just be the middle woman um, to bring babies home, which is a whole like another layer of no one will ever say that at the hospital. They'll yeah, we had no idea. Even, like, no, you know, right. But, there's even one, not, not that I don't know what you would have wanted in this situation, but just as, since we're talking about things women don't know in dealing with loss in the system, don't have them take your baby and wash them and do all the stuff. They come back smelling weird and they're, you know, mm -hmm. they just, they look different, like you said, and you have um, the funeral director is just the licensed kind of like bodyguard to yeah. transport and determine, you know, handle, essentially handle the body. Um that being said, though, in in some ways, it sounds kind of weird to say, but like I'm kind of surprised that they, like, that I'm I'm grateful to some degree that this hospital really treated Shiloh like a real baby, because you know the 20 week mark legally is the shift, as I'm sure you know, of, of like paperwork and death certificates and, um, and with even with some funeral, like some funerals won't, won't do a, a baby that's younger than 20 weeks um, and, and onwards. So it's, 
like that, that little card you just showed me, that's not something always offered to women having second trimester losses. Um, and so I'm glad that they did, you know, like make personify or like make, make, yeah. make, you know, you know what I'm saying? Um, totally. Cause I have, I, you know, not that I don't need to go too far into this, but I've just seen really brutal, really insensitive, um, ways of treating mothers having second trimester losses of the actual babies. So. Yeah. 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 That was nice. They actually, they sent us home with this whole like little box of, you know, like the, the photo, the, like a CD of the photos, the the card with his handprint and footprint. And they actually take like a, a mold print with larger babies. They'll do just the thumb, but they did his hand, which they sent off. And then I got a necklace in the mail with That's his so handprint. Sweet. Yeah. Um, and they'll engrave the name if you have a name. We didn't have a name picked out because we didn't know if he was a boy or a girl. And I was only 17 weeks. So they asked, our nurse asked, and that was one of the only like kind of weird thing with her was she was like, do you have a name picked out? And we were like, no. And she was like, oh, do you want to choose one? And we were like, not right now. Yeah, wow. <laughs> um, yeah, and so, yeah, I mean- I think the hardest thing was just there just came a moment where we had to decide okay we're done we're gonna give him back and we're never gonna see him again yeah and then we just you know I uh it was like another hour or two of just me you know recovering oh they had to like pull the placenta out of course which was horrendous um and then they wouldn't let me leave until I peed um on my own which took a you know a couple hours so I finally you know finished the whole process and then we're headed out of there and uh this was like the cherry on top of the whole experience as Joey had gone to get the car and my nurse is you know wheeling me out in a wheelchair and as we pass by the nurse's station one of the nurses congratulates me oh. as we're leaving <laughs> yeah and I was just like wow wow yeah, that is high volume, high volume care, you know, because yeah. they can't keep track, you know, in, in sensitive hospitals at best, they're putting a little, um, they put a little different color thing on the door mm -hmm. so that the whole staff walking in, cause none of them know you and none of them are keeping track. No, that yeah. is a bereaved mother. Um, oh. Yeah, it's so brutal. It's one thing to experience loss and it's another to experience it in the system. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. So that was that was that. We left the hospital and then we just are like thrown into this uh, this whirlwind of, you know, navigating this grief of, you know, having having lost this baby. And yeah, those, those first couple of weeks were, were really rough. And so we left, we came home on like a Tuesday afternoon from the hospital and Joey took Wednesday and Thursday off and then he had to go back to work on Friday. So um, it was a pretty short, you know, period of time that we got to just be together. Uh, that first night we did, we did sit down and choose his name. Um, and that felt really, really important for us to, to be able to, you know, honor him and, and still talk about him. Um, 
yeah and so I was just kind of left in the in the wake of this with like just so much confusion so much confusion about what happened why did it happen um and then this other layer of like you know who am I am I a mother am I not um that was that was a really hard question for me to to work through you know because people would you know I'd, I'd meet people you know even months afterwards and they'd say you know do you have any kids and that was just like a knife in the gut every time someone asked me that and it's such an innocent question you know of course no one like means any harm by it but but I I just I learned how difficult that is for for mothers who have lost lost their babies to to have to you know you have to decide every single time do I tell them the truth do I bring up all of this emotional baggage and honor that baby or do I just hide it and say no and move on you know and most of the time I would say no and move on and just it felt like kind of like a little piece of my heart being like ripped out every time um yeah, and so when we left the hospital, one of the doctors, the the head of the high risk obstetrics unit, obstetrics unit, um, she said, "You know what? I want you to make an appointment in two weeks and come back, and we can talk about what might have happened and what you know your possibilities are for future pregnancies." And so we did that because I thought maybe they would have some answers for me, you know. And of course, that was the most unhelpful thing that we did. We went, we went back and the doctor who we, we ended up not even talking to that doctor, but to a different doctor who didn't really know why we were there. And I was like, they, she told us to make this appointment and come and talk to you all. Like I thought there would be, you know, that you would have something to tell us. And so she basically, you know, she, she had been there. I remembered her like from the birth, she was there. And so she remembered, you know, what had happened. And so she basically was like, well, what probably happened is you have an incompetent cervix and so you know she like drew a whole picture about this part yeah how dare yeah so she drew me a picture and showed me you know how a cervix is supposed to look and how mine probably looked and how that you know caused the waters to break when they shouldn't have and you know it just happens sometimes and we don't know why and so what we'll do is next time you get pregnant you'll just come in at 12 or 14 weeks and we'll just sew your cervix closed so that it doesn't happen again oh my god yeah yeah and so so now I'm like also left sifting through all this information of oh my god does my cervix not work can I not will I not be able to carry a pregnancy past you know the second trimester because I had no other information I had no other reason for like why this could have happened you know I'm doing all this research on p-prom and how to prevent p-prom and you know now I've got this you know uh incompetent cervix diagnosis added in as well well and there's so, such yeah. a there's such a like you know confused mix of of this this concept of diagnosis right because this this bitch just made it up she just totally. made it up which totally. maybe you could argue is all diagnoses but like some are based on actual evidence evidence facts <laughs> this was that's probably what happened and yeah. i'm just gonna plant that like horrific seed in your brain yes totally so yeah that oh man that decision to go have that meeting really 
I had to do so much work to undo all of that, you know, those ideas that were planted in our heads after that. And that is, um, yeah, that's where I was when we met. So in the, in the wake of all this, I'm, I think I did what a lot of women do is I am searching high and low for stories that are similar to mine. I'm like scouring podcasts and the internet and YouTube for stories of second trimester miscarriage, because I want to find, you know, other women who have, who have been through this and who understand, because I felt so alone. You know, we were surrounded by so much love and support we were you know so well cared for in this like grief period but I still felt so alone in in my experience so I'm looking everywhere for you know trying to find stories and what I'm mostly finding is women who have who experience second trimester loss most of them do get the DNC or um uh, they don't, a lot of them don't want to see their babies when they're born. And so I'm, I'm not like finding any stories that I can relate to and that the, the, that the mothers, you know, having a similar mindset as I was. And so that's when I joined the free birth society membership, because I was like, you know, even if there isn't someone who has the exact same story as me, I know that these women are going to understand my mindset and my choices and my grief and why this was, you know, why we did things the way we did and how we're struggling to, to figure out what our next steps are for another pregnancy. Um, and so that's when we met, it was a few months, you know, I joined the membership and then you were, you were hosting that women's circle that I went to. Um, and I was really still in this place of having this story of the incompetent cervix and I'm going to need a cerclage and we don't know what happened when we met. And I remember very clearly talking to you after the circle about my whole experience you know you you asked the dreaded question do you have any kids <laughs> and you could tell from my response that there was more to the story than just no so we got into that and yeah told, you, you burst into tears <laughs> I mean I'm, I'm not making fun of you <laughs> But yes, when you ask when they first no one no one will believe that Emily. <laughs> That's good information. Okay, we're we're we can we're laughing but because we're very good friends. I'm not heartless. Um, <laughs> okay, yes. I never I rem- I rarely cry. In the year. Yeah. Yeah. And so when I when I said the thing about the oh they said that I'm you know I might need a cerclage, you just went, oh how barbaric. And it was your response that like triggered this thought in my mind of like oh my god like am I would I actually let them do that right you know right right but I had been a girl who doesn't get the pregnancy test (laughs) does not sew up her cervix no right right because Uh, some like stranger made up of you know yeah anyway yeah Anyway, the the long story short version is that I spend a few months trying to, you know, undo this cerclage story in my head. Um, When we finally decide to get pregnant again, I have two back-to-back very early losses in August and September. And I find out through that, those losses, um, that I have um, a thyroid issue going on, that I have Hashimoto's and my thyroid hormones are well outside of the range of what's considered normal or safe for pregnancy. Um, and that was a big, big shift too. That was, that was so big because I could finally, you know, look at this experience and say, oh, like maybe this is the reason, you know, 
of course, we'll never know. We'll never know truly what happened or why, but it gave me something else to focus on and, and to be able to say, I don't need the cerclage. I don't need all this monitoring and whatever, you know, if I can fix the thyroid issue. So that's what I did. I focused for a few months on um, changing my diet and, you know, the supplements and the herbs and all the things to support my thyroid. And to the point where within a few months, my thyroid hormones were like in optimal range and we felt really good about getting pregnant again. And so in December, the very end of December of that year, um, we did, we conceived, um, and I didn't test again. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and yeah, went into the pregnancy. Oh, there was definitely some, some nervousness, some trepidation, but I really did feel this overwhelming sense of peace that like deep down, I knew that everything was going to be okay. And that doesn't mean that there weren't a lot of moments of doubt or fear or, or whatever. Um, but that was really when I had to do the work of deciding to trust myself and to trust my intuition and to trust my own body and my baby and know that I wasn't going to get answers outside of that, that were helpful. And especially knowing, you know, my, my history of what I had been through with these previous pregnancies, that if I went into the system, I was going to be so highly managed. Um, I mean, even if I wanted just like one ultrasound, you know, to just to check that, but there would be no end in sight of interventions based on what I'd already experienced. So I knew that completely being outside of the system was the only way to, to really be safe and to have a peaceful pregnancy and birth. And, and because you would be labeled and treated as high risk, you know, so many women who come to free birth and, and wild pregnancy, it's because the alternative is that they would be labeled and treated so high risk. And I think that's an important thing to point out because free birth and wild pregnancies and birth outside the system is not just for, well, it's not just for any woman, it's for any woman who wants it, but it's not just for women who like get signed off and have a have some sort of like medical green light. You know, I think women right. use that. In fact, yeah. the majority of the women I've served would have been or were labeled high risk and they, like you are saying now, they like saw what that was going to look like and, you know, no way. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I wasn't totally wanting to be alone, you know, just as I wasn't the first time. Um, and so my ideal situation was that I would be attended by a, a wise woman who wasn't in the medical system. So I hired you, <laughs> I hired you and you were just as pregnant as I was. <laughs> you had me by two weeks or something. <laughs> I think it was one week. Um, yeah. Yeah. That was really fun too, to be pregnant at the mm-hmm. same time. And there was this whole story throughout our pregnancies of, is she going to make it to the birth? Is she not? And is our she going to get birth at your birth? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. We had some stories of like us birthing together, like you coming to my birth and then going into labor and us birthing together, and, which and would have been amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Joey cooking for three families. <laughs> you in the guest room with your baby which didn't happen um ironically you didn't make the birth but for wildly different reasons um yeah so I guess I'll just go into the the story of of his birth so you have a wild pregnancy yeah 
also is worth pausing on because you know, obviously the vast majority of women are already having medicalized pregnancies and even women in the free birth world who experience losses use that as their, um, I don't mean this judgmentally, women should do whatever they want, but they like use the loss story as a reason to not stay on the outside of the system unmedicalized um, right. path. And so yeah. it is kind of, you know, it's, it's unique that and then, like we said before we were recording, then there's this other group of women who having their losses in the system is their turning point where they're like, cool, fuck that, never again. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah, you have this wild pregnancy and, and, you know, as your friend watching you juggle the complexity of being so joyful and loving pregnancy so much and preparing for this thing you want so much and and also the, the, the depths of grief and just the complexity of missing the baby that's not here and having this new baby and creating space to love this baby. And it's so complex. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was. There was a, such a like tumultuous emotional uh, landscape there for sure. And yeah, and once you've had a second trimester pregnancy, pregnancy is just not the same, you know? I mean, it wasn't, it really wasn't until I would say 33, 34 weeks when I was really confident that like, okay, if I went into labor tonight, I would be really comfortable staying home. It wasn't until then that I really could fully let go of any fear or doubt and relax. Um, I mean, I I was not like an anxious mess the entire time or anything like that, but there's always in the back of my mind, I just always had this thought of like, this could end at any moment, you know? Um, It's not like you make it past the first trimester and you're in the clear anymore. So that was, that was hard. That was, you know, and I don't know if that'll ever change with future pregnancies either. So yeah. So we make it to 40 weeks, 40 weeks and two days. And, um, I have had zero signs of labor. I was like, I, you know, I'm thinking I'm for sure going to make it to 42 weeks. It's going to be October before this baby comes out. Um, And I wake up on the morning, 40 weeks and two days. And I have some very mild, like cramping, you know, like not painful in any way, but I like felt it. And I was like, oh, and I went back to sleep. And in my, in my mind, I'm like, my body is finally having practice contractions. Like I'm finally starting to prepare for labor. So maybe in two God. weeks, I'll birth. Seriously. <laughs> so I get up, I go to the chiropractor and the chiropractor is like, this baby is coming out soon. And I was like, yeah, maybe in a couple more weeks, whatever. And she was, she was very much like, I don't think I'm going to see you again until this baby is here. And I was like, I'll see you in a couple days. And then I go to the quarry to swim because Joey's off that day and he and his friend are riding their bikes out there. So I go meet them and we're just, you know, I'm swimming, floating in the water, having a nice day. It's beautiful and sunny. And then I come home. We have a a Zoom meeting, us and a a bunch of our friends. (laughs) And so we have this. Oh, yeah. And you were like, you were like a little uncomfortable. Yeah, I right? remember I, mess- I like direct messaged you in the Zoom chat of like, I'm feeling these like gentle practice, uh, you know, contractions again. <laughs> and you're like, cool, have, have fun. <laughs> so yeah, so we get off of this, 
which in hindsight, it's so funny. I was, I was telling our friend Valadia my birth story recently when I was um, at her house and she, she told me, she was like, I totally knew you were in labor. I was like, what are you talking about? And she's like, you were just like swaying and moving through this whole meeting. And like, I could just tell. What does that even really mean? Like every woman (laughs) after what period of weeks is in labor? You know what I mean? Like it's- You're preparing. In that dream state swaying. I felt like I was in that for like, nine weeks you know it in this period so what is yeah. it even, yeah it's just so crazy okay. I did it I very abruptly went into that state yeah. so this Fair meeting enough. this meeting ends it's what like five o'clock or something and after the meeting I'm like you know what I should do I should clean this house like I should scrub it top to bottom and I am like cleaning toilets scrubbing sinks like I'm like this, this house needs to be clean right now and so Joey's still out like riding his bike, going to breweries and, and having a good afternoon. And I texted him and I'm like, I need you to come home and help me clean the house. And he's like, okay. <laughs> you say, yes, ma'am. <laughs> he comes home. He walks into me vacuuming the living room, blasting the cranberries on the record player. And just like, he's like, oh, the vibe's pretty chill. And he's like, what do you want for dinner? And I was like, I'm not hungry at all. I don't even want to think about food, which also should have been like a sign. Very unusual. Yeah, right. <laughs> also, what women don't know listening to this is Meg's husband is like a top, top level chef. And yeah. so got to deny food made by her husband is a bizarre move. <laughs> totally. I was like, like yeah, I we don't make, want anything. We make him, we make him make us food down here that she brings and she visits yeah so that was that should have been yeah a, a sign uh anyway so he's I'm like he's like well I'm pretty hungry and I was like well you like get whatever you want and if I am hungry later like I have food in the freezer that I can heat up and he's like all right well like are you cool if I go get a pizza and I'm like yeah go get a pizza that's fine I'm gonna get in the shower I'm all like sweaty and gross now so so I get in the shower and uh this is when like things change and this is the first time this is when I call you for the first time and I'm in the shower and I'm like whoa these like you know gentle practice contractions this like light cramping that I'm experiencing has like really intensified and so I call I'm in the shower for probably a good 30 minutes or so and then I call you and I'm like just want you to know that like this has intensified it's really picked up and I think it was like I was starting to have to like pause and like breathe through them at that point and you were like cool this is a great sign you're like you know maybe sometime tomorrow we'll be we'll be headed your way and um you know you were like make it as chill as possible relax as sleep as much as you can tonight you're gonna need the energy hey and I'm you like never know when that advice is gonna right <laughs> So I'm like, yeah, (laughs) yeah. I'm like, great. Okay. Sleep, sleep and chill. Yeah. That's what I'm going to do. That's why I get out of the shower. (laughs) (laughs) I get out of the shower and I'm like, I, you know, dry off and put some, I think I just put a bra on and I am like sitting on my bed and I'm like, a contraction comes. I'm like, nope, nope. And I'm like, stand it up. Can't, can't sit down. I like try to like lean back. And I like, I cannot do anything during a contraction except stand and lean on my nightstand. And I'm like leaning with putting as much weight as I can in my arms and just like letting 
my like hips and my my abdomen and my lower body just like be as loose and relaxed as I possibly can but it's really intense and so pretty shortly after that I start vomiting with contractions which sucks like it's so awful there are a few things that I've experienced in my life and I've experienced a lot of discomfort that match having a contraction while vomiting squatting in front of the toilet yeah you go from like one to ten Yes. Yes. So quickly. And the contractions are coming so close together. And that was, that was the thing that really kind of threw me was I was like, I, there was no break. I mean, I wasn't timing anything, but looking back, Joey and I have talked about it and we think that it was like 15 seconds between contractions, maybe 20 sometimes, but it was bam, bam, bam. And so yeah, I texted you and Brienne, our other friend who was kind of our our second our second person and our backup if you were also in labor. Um, and I was like, I'm I'm throwing up now. And you were like, Oh, it'll pass. <laughs> and I'm like, Okay. Technically, um, it did. <laughs> totally, it happened and then it stopped. Yeah. Um, and so I'm having this. I'm having these thoughts of like oh my God, like if I have to do this for 12 hours, 24 hours, like I, I can't, I physically will not be able to do this for that long. So I I have like a little moment of panic of like, take me to the hospital, you know, like give me an epidural stat. I didn't say that to anyone. Um, Oh, and the, 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 the backstory here also is that Joey had asked me what I wanted to eat, you know, for the birth. And so when he realized that I was probably in labor, he's come home from getting his pizza. Things are wildly different than when he left. And he, I told him I wanted lasagna. So he's like in the kitchen trying to make lasagna. (laughs) So I'm all alone during most of this. At some point I'm like, forget the lasagna. And he's like, I have forgotten the lasagna. It's long forgotten. (laughs) He's getting the birth tub set up the otter pool um and so yeah a little while I don't know what time a little while after I had stopped vomiting he's like the pool is set up it's mostly full do you want to get in it and I had this like moment of like oh it's too early I couldn't I shouldn't get in the pool you know because of the stories that I've heard and then I was like yes I want to be in the water and he helps me to that room I have like three contractions on the way that we're like pausing and you know bracing for and so I get in the pool immediately as I get in the water I have this contraction that is just more intense and way longer than all of the others and my waters release in the pool Um, and I can see the like jet stream of water coming out and I can tell that it's like a little bit tinged with meconium it wasn't completely clear Um, and so at this point I think I had stopped communicating totally I wasn't talking to anyone I wasn't texting you anymore Joey was doing all the communication at some point after I got in the tub he asked you know he was like I I think maybe we should tell Emily and Brienne to come because you're two and a half hours away is the the story here. And so at some point he comes to me, he's on the phone with you and he says, are you sure you want them to come? And I said, I don't know. (laughs) Because I, I think at that point I knew that it wouldn't matter that if you left right now, you still wouldn't be there in time. Because as soon as my water broke, every, every sensation from then on, my body is pushing and I have zero control over it every sensation, my body's bearing down and the water was such a relief. It felt so good. I, and the, the coolest thing that happened was the breaks between contractions got so much longer. I mean, it went from like 15 seconds to like a minute, sometimes even like two minutes between where I could lay on the side of the pool, 
totally let my body just like relax and float. Um, yeah. And so I'm just, I'm pushing. I, at one point, Joey asks me if, I think he was talking to you again, or maybe, I don't know if he was or not, but he asked me, can you feel where the baby is? And so I put my fingers into feel and uh, this was the only like moment of like confusion or fear that I had. And when the head is in the birth canal, you know, this, the head skin is all scrunched up. And so I feel this like wrinkle of head skin. And my first thought is, is that an umbilical cord? And I was like, oh God, like, is, you know, is the umbilical cord coming first? And I, but I didn't say anything to him. I just was like, that's interesting. And I like waited. And then the next contraction, it felt a little different. And I was like, maybe it's a butt. I think it's a butt coming first. And so I just, I didn't know what was happening and I'm not communicating with Joey at all. I haven't, I haven't said a word to him. I don't think since I got in the pool, um, at some point he gets a pillow and lays down next to the pool thinking he's going to go to sleep. (laughs) Read the room, Joey. (laughs) Well, things had calmed down so much, like from how intense it had been. He's like, oh, it's slowed down. We're going to have a break now. (laughs) So he thinks he's going to like rest because he's been out like riding his bike in the sun all day. He's exhausted, you know? And um, yeah, but I mean, I think it, I think I was in the pool for maybe an hour, Uh, but the contractions had spaced out so much. It was only like 12 or 14 contractions in that hour that I was pushing for. And then it was just all of a sudden for in my in my reference point from my what I remember is I was totally caught off guard by I had a contraction that again was much stronger and much longer than the previous ones and I pushed his head out all in one there was no like crowning going back in that you hear about you know it was just a contraction head out and I lost my mind I mean I it was the intensity, it was so painful. I, I was on my knees leaning forward. And then during that contraction, I leaned back, like trying to get away from the pain and ended up like leaning backwards in like a lunge position. Um, but the head was out. I was still not 100% sure that it was a head until I had my hand down there and I felt an ear. And I was like, oh yeah, it is a head. There's an ear on it. Um, and I felt baby do the twist in the birth canal we had a a little break uh, between that that contraction and the next one and then next contraction body just shot out into the water and I I fished him out put him on my chest he immediately cried which I I had asked for I you know in all the like preparation for this birth I had just said you know I don't need to question whether or not you're okay like I need you to just make it really clear from the moment you're out that you're alive and and he did um he cried immediately put him on my chest yeah and I really thought I had envisioned this moment and I thought it was going to be just like you know tears and joy and emotion and it was just I mean it was still the the intensity of what I had been going through physically was like the overarching experience really um how we long just, would you mark that birth time It was three hours from the time that I was in the shower and called you to the time that he was born. Yeah. So yeah, we, we checked to see that he was a boy. Um, I sat in the tub for a few minutes, but I was still having really intense contractions and I knew that I wanted to get the placenta out. So Joey helped us, you know, out of the pool. Um, I just kneeled down on my knees. I could feel that the placenta was like 
in the birth canal. So I just pulled it right out. Um, bloody handprint on the towel. We have that amazing photo where the placenta plopped out. Yeah. And then that was it. He was, he was here. And then I think it was like 10 minutes after that moment that we got a text from you saying we're because the drive from your house to my house there's like an hour-long dead zone where you have no service and you had you texted saying we're out of the dead zone we'll be there in an hour (laughs) and then I called you and I remember you answering the phone and when you heard that it was my voice and not Joey's you were like a little worried you were like what's what's going on (laughs) and I was just like baby's here (laughs) yeah yeah so we just, Joey helped us get set up on the couch where um, we waited an hour for you and Brienne started, you know, texting pictures of the baby and me to all the friends and our family. And I miss all yeah. my friends' births. I miss Julia's, <laughs> I miss Ariel's, I miss yours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and then walking in and you on the couch holding your baby with the placenta bowl and Joey and I'll never mm. forget that. It's so sweet. Yeah. Yeah, it was wild. It was wild. It was a lot to process. That's what I was going to just say, like, speak, speak to the shock piece, because Mm -hmm. it's um, very, very common, even beyond quick births. I mean, just in general to experience a long period of time for it to integrate and process. And, you know, you said something to me in, in your postpartum that, I hope you don't mind me bringing up here that I think is important. You said something like, well, I guess you kind of just referenced it, but you said like, you know, I see these videos and I, I see, I had this like image of, of what I thought should happen in a physiological birth and, and, you know, the emotion and the bonding and the crying and this whole, um, this way it would look and it Mm -hmm. didn't look that way for you. And so like, what's up with that? I'm just totally paraphrasing. Yeah. Yeah, I had, you know, this idea of like that moment of bliss when the baby is on your chest and you're just totally flooded with like the oxytocin and, you know, the love hormones and all of that. And I didn't feel that. I felt like I was still so in my physical body and I was still in so much pain physically, even in the immediate moments after, after I got him out of the water and had him on my chest. I mean, like, emotionally and cognitively like yes I was elated there was this joy I couldn't believe that I you know had my baby in my arms but physically I was I was still being pulled back into my physical body so much by this intensity of what had just happened and the pain that I was in and so yeah there was this processing after the birth of like I felt kind of robbed of like what I went through you know the totally undisturbed a physiological birth and I didn't have this like moment of bliss and I had this moment of questioning like did I even have the like normal hormonal cascade that's supposed to happen because I didn't feel it and you totally you know reassured me that like of course you did you know of course everything that was supposed to happen physiologically did happen and like yeah sometimes birth is just more physical for some women than it is anything else well and I think an important distinction here is whatever your moment of bliss that you made up was going to happen might not have happened, but that doesn't equal that the, that the like cascade didn't happen. Right. So your, and also have you had it since? Mm. Have you 
at any point in your postpartum, have you one or, or maybe infinite amount of times experienced the thing you imagine you feel <laughs> right after? I imagine. Right. Yes. Yeah, of course. Right. Yeah. Many times. Because a lot of women will critique themselves in that immediate postpartum hour and be like, it, it, you know, this is why I wanted to speak on it. Cause it's, it's something I hear a lot of women comment on that, like, oh, it, you know, I didn't cry. I didn't, I didn't throw my head back in, in glory. You know, I just was so fucking relieved it was over. And I was in so much pain and I had no idea what happened and I was still upside down. And, yeah. you know, we can't, these like curated, edited with music behind it videos on Instagram, like, yeah, they're beautiful and great, totally. Um, and lots of women don't cry when they meet their babies. And, you know, lots of women experience exactly what you described, which is like shock and relief. And there's some level of elation and there's some level of what just happened. And I mean, mm-hmm. that is, that's giving birth, you know, that's, yeah. that's postpartum. Yeah. That's, it takes, it's like, it takes days and weeks to integrate the whole thing. And, you know, on like a graph or whatever, of course you're experiencing highs of, Mm -hmm. you know, of the, of what you think it would look like. Um, But yeah, anyway, just kind of making that distinction of like, it's not actually that it didn't happen. It just didn't happen. Right. Didn't look the way you thought. Yeah. Yeah. And you've seen my, um, the juxtaposition of my immediate birth with background music in the reel that I made <laughs> which is very different from the sweet lovely you know ones yeah. you see on Instagram well, and and <laughs> who have fast births and also I see this with women in second births when their first one was long and then their second one is quick like I experienced my own version of this even though mine was six hours so mine was twice as long as yours but I just felt like that was it like that that was the birth. Whoa. You know, and it took a long time to feel like it like all came together in my psyche. And so I think, and I see that with, I'm thinking of Julia too, who had the 40 minute birth, Mm -hmm. you know, just like, huh? Yeah. Like labor starts and then there's a baby in my arms. What? Right. Yeah. Like I didn't even have time to really even notice that I was in labor, which sounds stupid because I was doing it, but like, there was there was no time for like any thought process at all um yeah yeah it was after my birth I called yo and I was just reeling and she was like you know everyone's got it all wrong like the long births are the easy births the Mm -hmm. long births (laughs) you have so much time to integrate and to understand where you're at you know in the in the process and to adjust to every phase and with fast births you know, everyone like, you know, will gaslight you. And and as you try to tell them that it was really intense or that it was really chaotic or that it was really even traumatizing or shocking, they're like, but you're so lucky you, 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 you got such a fast birth. Everyone thinks of fast birth. Like, you know, maidens or women who are pregnant will be like, I'm just hoping for two hours, like just as Mm -hmm. quick as possible. And I'm like, damn, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Yeah. Having experienced it now, I wouldn't either. And so many, so many people in my life have you know, as I've told them what happened, you know, the birth story, their response would be, oh, I'm so glad you had such an easy birth. And I'm like, whoa, right. whoa, what, what about that story makes you think it was easy? Like it was insanely hard and it was extremely traumatizing. Like there, it was, a, it was, I still haven't even watched the birth video with sound. Like I still don't even feel prepared to, 
to do that because it was like whoa the 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 reeling that my like mental and physical body went through afterwards and and yeah my healing afterwards was so intense um which is something I wanted to mention like I couldn't walk normally. I couldn't, I couldn't stand. I couldn't be on my feet for more than five minutes, even like six and eight weeks after the birth. It was so intense. I mean, my pelvic floor, I told our friend Adelaide that I felt like my pelvic floor had been bombed. Like it just felt annihilated. And, um, which is like, which I'm still like working on, you know, it's still not great. Um, and I think that the, the intensity and the fast birth had a lot to do with that and how, hard my postpartum healing was yeah that was really it was really really difficult so the nursing was a huge struggle um he had a lip tie tongue tie and both buckle ties the cheek ties so I had never really known about buckle ties you know I knew to look for the lip tie and the tongue tie but I wasn't really familiar with buckle ties and it was his buckle ties actually that were the most intense and that were keeping him from being able to open his mouth wide enough to latch well so we were we were struggling a lot with breastfeeding in the beginning it was extremely painful for me um how and old, he how old was he when you got those tie diagnoses though he was two weeks when we got the diagnoses okay and he was six is that right no I'm sorry he was four weeks when we got the diagnoses he and older. he was yeah, he was six weeks when we got them revised. And my advice to anyone who has the option would be to revise them as soon as you can. So many people say to wait and to do all the body work, which we did. We did craniosacral and the chiropractic and all of that. But the, immediately when his buckle ties were released, he could immediately open his mouth so much wider and it changed so quickly. It wasn't perfect. Like I'm, I still, even to this day, sometimes experiencing pain while he's nursing. And now he has a freaking tooth, which is, you know, not helping. <laughs> so, um, but it improved so much so quickly after the tires were released that I wish we had done it as soon as possible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so that was hard. Um, so and I also grinned and bared it for six weeks and just, yeah, we have, nursing we eventually, Oh yeah. Yeah. I was, <laughs> I would like, it's such an awful feeling to dread your baby waking up, you know, because you know that you have to nurse them and it's going to hurt so bad. Like that, oh, was, brutal. that was, yeah, it was really hard emotionally as well as physically. Um, we eventually did, I started giving him one bottle at night in the middle of the night Our our like, you know, one of our middle of the night feedings, Joey would feed him a bottle just to give me a break where I could have, you know, instead of two hours between feedings, like four hours between feedings, just to like give my nipples a break. And that actually, I think mentally helped a lot. I was really resistant to the idea of, of using a bottle at all. But once we did, was I was so glad. Yeah. Yeah. It was my milk. I was pumping. Um, pumping was so much less painful than the nursing. So it was, um, that helped a lot. And just knowing that we had the option that like, I could still feed him my milk with a bottle right. was big. It was really, really big. Um, yeah, but we persevered. Um, and yeah, he's, he's doing, he's doing great now. Yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to touch on quickly, it was just like the emotional processing of, you know, processing this birth and, you know, this, this baby coming, but also, having this postpartum with this baby brought up a lot of my grief about Shiloh too. And I really kind of grieved again, everything that we 
missed out on with that baby. You know, it was really as, as high as the highs were with Wiley, our son that, you know, that is here with us at the same time, I was thinking like, what would it have been like with Shiloh? So there was this big, big spiral back into that grief space, um, you know, which was, you know, kind of beautiful to, to remember. It's also this week is the, his birthday is on Thursday. So it's just very, you know, feeling very potent and and fresh right now for us. But yeah, that brought up, that brought back up a lot of the, the grief and the, what we experienced in, in that postpartum during this postpartum. So there was a lot of, you know, emotional highs and lows there too. <sighs> Mothering. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll attend your next birth. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully the back. next birth, I'm praying the next one is longer. Yeah. And maybe we won't be pregnant at the exact same time. Yeah, we, we, I kept saying that, <laughs> like, we did not plan this well. <laughs> we really didn't. Yeah. It's so funny looking back <laughs> how that I happened. I love being pregnant with you both. And I did and, too. And all three of us had like kind of gnarly births and all yeah. of us were like, what is going on? Like, we all just were reeling after our births for yeah. all of Really, different. truly. So, yeah, and it's so nice. Cool I'm though. glad like one of us didn't get the ecstatic. <laughs> we were all like, no, nope. <laughs> yeah. And now we have these three little boys who are all within two weeks of each other, which is so cool. It's going to be so fun to like watch them grow up together. Yeah, we have to do a joint birthday. Yes. <sighs> love you. I love you too. Proud of you. Thank you. Well, Thanks for letting me share all my stories. Yeah, of course. And that's it for today, my sisters. Check out everything we do, including one-on-one and group coaching, learn about our private membership, in-person retreats, and more on freebirthsociety.com. Our online courses are on freebirthsocietycourses.com, including our flagship course, The Complete Guide to Free Birth. Don't miss the Radical Birthkeeper School if you're ready to become the authentic midwife that women are searching for. Together we rise and the revolution starts inside each of us. I'll leave you with our Free Birth Society theme song, Wild Woman by Aruba Red. I honor you for the wisdom you held, the ancient traditions of plant medicine and womb magic. I feel the spirit of the ancestors as I place my hands upon my belly. This sacred portal will be honoured. Eons upon light beams of survival withstanding the eradication of our power by design. I will not allow the separation of our young to be forced upon me. My sisters will no longer birth in captivity. The picket line redefined from burning our wild women to paralysing us and drugging our babes. Strapped down in a clinical white bed, drying up the milk from our breasts. Keep your needles. My family will never again be doomed to chase those dragons or your poison. We reject your fear. We choose love. Everything with intention. Death, ascension. I will fly and bring her back.